Blog Talk Radio. This is the Car Session Sports Report that I bring to you live each and every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. This week, we're going to focus on the NFL once again, but this time, instead of reviewing the week, we're going to do the NFL quarterly review. If you hadn't noticed, the first month of the season, the first quarter of the season is in the books. It's kind of quick, it's kind of rapid, it's kind of like the four train during rush hour when things are going right. But in New York, you listen, y'all know what I'm talking about, when things are going right. <laughs> Sometimes the four train is an absolute mess. But, uh, the Marcus Lamar is going to be joining me to give his take on what he's been seeing around the league, what he's been taking away, surprises, disappointments, etc. One major disappointment, I have to say, is the fact that my guy, Eddie Sagara, Mets make the playoffs, and we don't have Eddie on the show tonight, man. That's kind of disappointing. Some some people might disagree, but I I'm kind of upset about that. Eddie Eddie has been, you know, a staunch Mets supporter. He has his own segment here on Car Sessions, and his job just keeps getting in the way, man. Him and his job. Come on, Ed. <laughs> Come on, Eddie. Stop, stop working so much. We have to talk about the Mets. They're in the playoffs. Anyway, as I was, I was saying about the NFL, the first month of the season is in the books. Saw a few things that really, you know, kind of tripped me out. Got to gotta admit it to you guys. It kind of bugged me out. First being, the two teams that we're in the NFC title game, the two teams that a lot of a lot of people, a lot of sports fans, a lot of prognosticators had doing some elite things coming into this season, they look rather ordinary to start the year. When Marcus comes on, we're going to be focusing more so on that, and we have him here on the line. Marcus, take two, car sessions. We had some technical difficulties just now, but this is the official episode right here. We back in. It's all good, man. You know the devil's always <laughs> busy, always trying to work. Oh my god! But, um, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate the segue. Actually, um, before we got cut short the first time, like you said, going into the season, a lot of people, a lot of fans, a lot of casual spectators, a lot of people in the media had the Arizona Cardinals being their favorite to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. Obviously, there's no disrespect to teams like Green Bay, Seattle, and Carolina, but if you look at it from a talent perspective, the Cardinals have it. From a leadership standpoint, the Cardinals have it. They got a veteran quarterback in Carson Palmer. They've got Larry Fitzgerald, a veteran receiver. And the defense is rather, you know, elite. Like you said, four games into the season, a quarter through the season, they've looked extremely ordinary. Now, we can't specifically point to one specific thing as to why they've struggled early. It's not like they've been getting blown out, but they haven't played well, especially at home. And as you know, yesterday, Carlson Palmer sustained potentially another injury. People always say, it doesn't matter how talented you are. Your biggest ability is your availability. We know he had injured a couple of years ago when he had that playoff game. He wasn't around. Hopefully he doesn't have an injury this time around where he's going to be forced to miss a substantial amount of time. But he's got to stay healthy, man, because that revolving door of quarterback gets tiresome. It wears on teammates. It wears on ownership. It wears on coaches. Obviously, injuries are something that you can't predict. 
you know, you can't prognosticate when someone's going to get injured, what the extent of their injury is going to be. But at the same token, as your leader, as a leader of a football team, as a quarterback, that's where it all starts. If that person isn't playing or isn't able to play, there's a void that needs to be filled. And you can't look to a second-string quarterback or a third-string quarterback to fill that void, as was demonstrated yesterday with the Patriots and Bills game. Now, the Patriots got shut out first time for a long time at home by the Bills. No one's going to make a big fuss about it because Jacoby Brissett, third-string quarterback, played well one game, didn't play well another game. That's what third-string quarterbacks are there for. They're there to step in to supplement when your, you know, star goes down, your leader goes down, but no one has any real expectations of them. He, by and large, by far exceeded expectations that Thursday night game against the Texans. So we got shut out yesterday. No worries. This week we have a gift, you know, Brady returns against Cleveland. I guess the NFL gods must have orchestrated that because, you know, they're still winless. But going back to that other team who was in the NFC Championship game, the Panthers, we all know – about the quote-unquote Super Bowl hangover. You know, it usually happens to people who win the Super Bowl, but if we look to that team in Denver with Trevor Simeon, a rookie quarterback, they're 4-0, and their defense hasn't missed a beat. I know he, too, got injured yesterday, and we're waiting to see the results on that, but they're 4-0. And even though the Patriots were undefeated going into yesterday's game, I have to say that the Broncos are the best team in the AFC, given the fact that they are the defending reigning Super Bowl champions. Their defense hasn't missed a beat, and they're doing this with a rookie quarterback. But Carolina, for some reason, and I'm going to point to one specific thing. Corners are not a dime a dozen. Running backs are, you know, cornerbacks are not a dime a dozen. When you have a good corner, and for all the people who like to say, oh, well, Josh Norman only plays one side of the field, I have no problem with that. Because even if he only plays one side of the field, if he's good enough to the point where opposing quarterbacks and offensive coordinators refuse or are hesitant to throw to his side of the field, then essentially what he's doing is shrinking the field in half, which is leaving the offense limited space to maneuver. It cuts down on or it forces opposing teams to have to resort to motion and sending people across formations, which lead to a lot of false starts a lot of things of that nature. So when they let him walk, they essentially said, you know what, you're good, but we don't think you're that good enough for us to pay you what you're asking for or what you feel you deserve. So thank you for your services, and hopefully you can take your talents elsewhere and see what you can do there. Now, obviously, we still know they have Thomas Davis. They have Luke Keekley. The front seven is good, but you can't put a price on a good secondary. Just ask Seattle. Richard Sherman. Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas have been the cornerstone of what the Seahawks have been doing up in Seattle for the last five years. They lost Byron Maxwell, Walter Thurman, um, Carrie Williams, but the cornerstone of their secondary has stayed intact. They lost Cliff Averill. They lost um, some other people on the defensive line. You know, they still have Bennett, but that secondary, which is intimidating, you got all-star corners and safeties and free safeties and strong safeties. Uh-huh. And it's turned out good for them. Yesterday was embarrassing if you're a Carolina Panthers fan and or Carolina Panthers player. Atlanta is not two touchdowns better than the Carolina Panthers. Atlanta you know, is not. I don't, mean to, I don't mean to cut you off, but it's like you, you, you kind of touched me with that whole Atlanta thing. And it's just like 
You're speaking about the secondary, and they're not two touchdowns better. But but Marcus, I feel like they need to go on a private jet, even though it's, it's illegal by NFL standards, but go snatch Josh because you had a wide receiver. Was it 300 yards he, he, received, he had yesterday, Julio Jones? Did I see that right? 300 yards? How is yep. it possible? Even the – how, Sway? <laughs> because you, 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 you completely scoffed at Josh Norman. You know, you said that just now. The way they treated Josh yep. Norman in the offseason as a front office was they, they said, you know, we don't need you. The system created you. You weren't your own entity. We made you not the other way around. And then you had Julio Jones who played him twice last year, and I don't think he had 150 yards total in the two games that they played last year, had 300 yards in one game. If that if that's not a if I'm if I'm the owner of the Carolina Panthers, I'm I'm looking at the GM like, hey, bro, what's good? You said we didn't need this guy. We're gonna go draft two rookies because our system is so great. But this is embarrassing, like you said, extremely embarrassing. Um, you were talking about I, I didn't want to lose a thought, but you were speaking about Carson Palmer in the other disappointing team. And you know, I read things throughout the summer that I'm sure you because you, you you do the same, you do a lot of reading on your end that there was a lot of concern about this guy in the preseason. And now the season starts with the exception of one game. He looked pretty ordinary. Then he gets another concussion. So my question to you is, did, did Carson Palmer age by five years over the summer? Did, did we miss something with him? Was that his last shot, the yeah. NFC Championship game back in January? Was was that the last we've seen of Carson Palmer? We just didn't know it yet? Well, I don't want to get – I think it'd be – it's only a quarter of the season into it. Like I said on the first go-round, the only people that uh, the Cardinals have to really contend with in the NFC West, obviously right. Seattle, and in this case, you know, the LA Rams, four games into the season doesn't mean it's over for them, but the season goes by very fast. They already had three losses. Carson Palmer already had a gimpy knee and injuries, a, lent- a lengthy history of injuries prior to him going down uh, a couple of seasons ago, I believe it was two seasons ago, where he missed that right. playoff game, and which the final score was like 10-9. to nine. It was an embarrassment. Right, right, so right. He's always been good. Even if you look at his days in Oakland or whatever the case may be, Cincinnati, Carson Palmer's always been prone to injury and susceptible to injury. The oh. Cardinals knew this when they picked him up. They knew this even after he played well for them. Now, I'm not going to say he's finished, but – the window in the NFC is very, very, very small. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Only a handful of teams who legitimately going into the season, Arizona, Seattle, Carolina, and Green Bay, those are the four teams that people are looking to yep. to come out and represent the conference. Now, obviously, yep. on any given year, if you want to throw the Giants in there as like a wild card surprise team because, you know, that's just what they do, then bother me and knock yourself out. For the most part, those four teams were people's favorites. But I got to tell you, Seattle doesn't look like they missed a beat. Their defense is at the top of the league, if I'm um, correct. Russell Wilson, despite injuries, yep. you know, he's still playing well. They haven't <laughs> looked like they've slowed down. Um, even though they struggled offensively the first two games of the season, they look like they righted their ship, um, being led and spearheaded by that defense. Cardinals true, got an true. uphill battle. So does Carolina. Ar- Arizona, you know, I mean, excuse me, Atlanta? Go ahead. I saw I saw a graphic during the Jets game, and I'm gonna take it to New York in a second about the Jets. I saw a graphic that said that they have set from from the Super Bowl team, they still have seven guys on the defense, seven regular starters from that team. Over the summer, when I was doing the pre-assessments, I, I, I kind of I was concerned 
that they would take a step back. You know, I thought uh-huh. I thought with the loss of Beast Mode, I was with, with the comments that I read throughout the summer. I thought there would be some dissension amongst the ranks. I was worried about Bennett being frustrated that he wouldn't get paid. You know, but like you said, they haven't missed the beat. They looked really good on offense yesterday. But so my question is, was was it the fact that they were playing a Jets team that already looks like they're kind of checking out? Revis got hurt yesterday. I don't want to call the Jets a disappointment, but they they haven't lived up to decent expectations. Um, I feel like Ryan Fitzpatrick. I, I did a show about him last Thursday where I said, you know, he he's regressed to the mean, the mean being a completely average quarterback, and he played above his head much of last season until maybe the last couple of weeks. But I feel like instead of regressing to the mean, now he's below the mean that he set for himself. Is it time for Geno Smith? I think it, I think at this point, one and three, they're already playing for the wild card. The AFC is no joke. Why not roll the dice on Geno? Well, here's the thing, the, and that's an interesting question you pose, and I heard um, that question asked several times or discussed several times today on, you know, mostly all sports talk shows and radio. When the offseason hits, and they sign when essentially when you sign someone to a one year deal, that means that we don't think that you're good enough to sign long term. So we're right. gonna sign you to this year deal, see how you do, and it's right. kinda like a case by case basis. Like if you do well the year we sign you, then we'll sign you to another year or maybe even two. But in terms of getting a, a long term contract, like a three year sixty dollar sixty million dollar contract or a five year seventy five million dollar contract, Fitzpatrick is not worth that. That's what they told him. So he either should have went with Geno in the offseason because now right. four games into the season, the man's thrown nine interceptions in two games, which is a plethora. Like, you just can't Yo. win that way in this league. You just, That's you just, extremely you just, not bad quarterbacking. <laughs> That's right. extremely so bad quarterbacking, you, man. So if you take him out and put Geno in, you're essentially having an admission of guilt. Like, yes. you know, this guy isn't who we thought we were, he was, which is why we right. actually signed him to the one-year deal. But now he's, like, really playing well where he's – last year he wasn't a liability. Now he's the sole reason they're losing. Don't tell you me about what? their I running game. Don't tell me about their offense. No, you know what? This is a quarterback's league, man. I, I've been I've – been, I was a little hesitant. I'm an offensive dude, but I, I'm a big fan of wide receivers, running back, skill position players. In, in recent years, more so the way that the league is going and the way they, you know, the powers that be has spearheaded it. It has to, everything goes through the quarterback. Even if it's a running offense, it's still a quarterback that holds the string. So when, when you're in a quarterback's league, and I said this Thursday, if, if nobody wanted Ryan Fitzpatrick, nobody, every team, all 32 teams even need a backup quarterback. Nobody even wanted this man to be a backup. Nobody came beating down his door to sign him when he was playing that game of chicken with the Jets. Why, if uh-huh. I was the New York Jets, would I even waste $12 million on this man? Nobody wanted him in the first place. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, what yeah. are you doing? Like, like what, what are you doing if you're the New York Jets? <laughs> when you really think, think about it, nobody wanted him uh-huh. and you gave him $12 million. Well, if you look at it, Fitzpatrick isn't bad. And even though he didn't show up in big moments last year, including the last game of the season against Buffalo where their playoff lives were on the line. Right. The Jets aren't sold on their alternatives. They're not sold right. on Bryce Petty because he's a rookie. Jets fans, whether they want to admit it or not, and ownership are not still fully over the IKNM Polly and Geno Smith situation. And he's not even talented enough to the point where you can kind of sweep it under the rug and say, you know what, all right, the guy got his lights clocked or 
he owed somebody money, but he's good. I don't care. Put him in the game. Geno Smith was inconsistent at best. He doesn't have what I think is a long quarterback career in his, his future. So Fitzpatrick is kind of – they're settling for Fitzpatrick. It just so happens this year he's turning the ball over at a clip that's unprecedented. I mean, for you, you don't even throw six interceptions on video games. Like, at, 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 at that point, you would either – like, if you're playing online, you'd either exit or you, 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 you would just, like, quit. Like, the fact that he threw six interceptions and then followed up with three, granted, the Seahawks defense is no slouch. And going back to them, even if they struggle offensively, say they're only giving up 15 points a game, and that's being generous. Say they're giving up 13, 15 points. You only need three touchdowns to beat that. If they're getting 21 points a game, that's three touchdowns. Russell Wilson's good for a touchdown. You know your defense is going to get you at least one to two or three takeaways, which may lead to uh, points, especially if you get a good field position or getting zone. So, it's a good quarterback. You know, he's a good thing. Even if Jimmy Graham is not the Jimmy Graham of old, their defense is good enough where it can lead to offense, which is why they're going to be a very dangerous team as we get later in the season. Curious to see how Green Bay responds. Aaron Rodgers, I've always said it, and this is another topic for another day, but if he doesn't start winning more in the postseason, he's slowly but surely going to be the new Peyton Manning. Great regular season, lighting it up, but postseason record, not too shaky. I challenge people who are having a condition right now, like, how dare you say that? Look at the numbers. One Lost a home game to the Giants. Everybody knows what it is. I I feel like, I don't think Aaron Rodgers has the the, the cachet of a Peyton Manning in that people will fight you on. Maybe maybe in Green Bay. But but most of us astute NFL fans know that Aaron Rodgers – that Super Bowl that, that he won back in, what was it, 09, he's on shaky ground now. Because it's not like he's lost yep. in ways where he was unlucky. The Packers, with the exception of what? The NFC Championship game where they couldn't put, they couldn't score enough touchdowns against Seattle. They've been beaten outright in the playoffs. You know, if it wasn't for yep. a Hail Mary against Arizona that forced the game to go to open time, nobody left that Arizona game thinking that the Packers had got one. We, we, all of us felt like Arizona won the game. They made the game harder than he had to. Aaron Rodgers had to make some improbable throws just to get him to overtime. The Packers are a regular season team as of right now. I'll take it a step further. Marcus, I'm going to go there. They are a regular season team until further notice. They are. And not to mention his most blaring losses in the postseason. Remember that freaking mind-blowing season where they went 15-1? and They yep. lost uh, a game at home to the New York Giants. Not to mention Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy were at the helm of the seat when they lost to Seattle. They were up 19-3. I will never forget it. 19-3 yeah. with 5 minutes and 46 seconds left. I don't care if you're on the game. road at home or if you're in London. They lost that game. Those are two of his most glaring postseason losses. And that, and why did they lose that game? Because the, the, the baddest man, as a certain prognosticator who gets paid millions of dollars to save, could not put the ball in the end zone. If they would have scored touchdowns on what it was, four field goals they settled for, they would have ran Seattle off of their field. But it's like, for some reason, Aaron Rodgers becomes A. Dot Rodgers. Like, he's not even Aaron. He can't get his whole first name in the playoffs. He's just A. Rodgers in the playoffs. He's just a guy. You know what I'm saying? 
and I don't I don't mean to be disrespectful yep. in saying that, but it's just like what if we have we when is, when was the last signature Aaron Rodgers playoff game that you could really think about? Like, yo, Aaron Rodgers balled out. I can't remember. The Super Bowl against the, the only, Um I think I think they had another showdown against Arizona where it was like a crazy one like something along the lines oh. of like fifty one to forty eight. Right, right, yes. Okay. I think that okay. was his last number one. But you see how you, you couldn't even remember because it, it was so long ago. And yes. that's, that's the point that we're making. I think that was the year after the Super Bowl, no? Like that first round game they played, they beat Kurt Warner or something like that? Yes, yep, that one, yep. See, there you go. Last question I have for you before I let you go and I get into a couple of other things on car sessions. This is the last team that I've been curious about here. We haven't spoke about them People in Philadelphia will be, they'll be real besmirched if we don't mention the 3 and 0 Philadelphia Eagles. They had a bye week. They didn't play. How do you feel about this? I feel like this is this is fool's gold right now. I don't I don't believe them yet. They need more people. What about yourself? I'm glad you brought that up because I actually have been, um, you know, people are very, um, sometimes it's misguided passion, but they're very passionate <laughs> when it comes to their sports teams. So, obviously, the NFC East, regardless of what people say, it's always going to be competitive. You're never going to know who's going to definitively win the division until, like, the last, like, week of the season most times. So most of the years that we've been watching the NFC East, it takes about 10 wins to win the division, right? Somewhere around in 9 and 7. They beat up on each other. And you beat up on the rest, the rest of the league. I admit, I watched Carson Wentz play Sunday night football game. I think it was against Chicago. Um, and the Steelers game was very impressive. I like the kids. I like what I'm seeing. I like his poise, I like his demeanor. I like his attributes, and I like the fact that he's not getting situation. The rookie quarterback starting in a hostile city. True. He's got a new coach. He still got weapons. You still got Darren Sproles. You understand? You still got pieces here on the offense and defense. You're trying to turn a new page in the franchise's history, coming off of the. Chip Kelly regime, uh-huh. in which several players lamented ownership. They lamented racism. <laughs> you know what I mean? They felt like they were gassed. The Eagles, I checked it today before we got on the phone. Like, I was doing some research. Eagles only given up 27 points in three games this year. That's, That's crazy. nine points per game. In addition to that, they have the highest point differential in the entire league. So it's not like they're winning – Close games like 10 to 9, no, they're blowing teams out. They scored 92 points in three games, which is about 30 a clip, and they've only given up about nine a game. That is impressive. I understand you think it's fool's gold because it's still early. Of course it's still early. And their schedule is going to get considerably tougher. Yes. And they're going to have to play teams like Green Bay and Atlanta and some of the more upper echelon elite teams in the NFC in the league. But you got to like what you're seeing from them, given the fact that the Cowboys have been playing well, the Giants have looked improved. The Redskins are about where we thought they would be. Yeah, so average. <laughs> we just got to wait and see with the kids. But I think if you're an Eagles fan, you have reason to be optimistic about Carson Wentz. If, not, if well, nothing else, you have reason to be I'm, optimistic. I'm going to go the other way. I just feel as though, as of right now, I say it's fool's gold because, you know, at the end of the day, they, they don't get to, this is not college where you get to pick who you can play early in the season. You know, you you can't pick right. the Division Two A teams and all that. You play who the NFL allows you to play. Cool. They took care of business. But in my eyes, they haven't beaten anyone yet. The schedule's gonna get tougher. Am I impressed with the way that they beat the teams? Of course. You can't. I'll be a hater if I said I wasn't impressed. 
if you're beating teams essentially 30 to 9 in the NFL three consecutive weeks with a quarterback with a smidgen of preseason experience, you have to applaud that team. But I feel like once they get into the teeth of their schedule, if I'm not mistaken, I think that the NFC East, I'm a Giants fan, I think we play the AFC North this year. That's, that's going to be tough. Yep. <laughs> you, the, the Bengals are no slouch. The Ravens, the Ravens look better than I thought they would be. And we know what time it is with the Steelers. The only gimme, they already had their gimme in that division, playing um, against the Browns. I feel like the, the NFC East is a lot better than people think it is. So they have about six upcoming games or more where they have to play against real football teams. And until they play those real football teams, I can't really give them too much credit. I'm going to give them a smidgen of credit because real has to recognize real 30 to 9 is nothing to laugh at. So, boom, salute to them. But I, I need to see more. I, the Eagles, I'm, I'm much like most Eagle fans who are waiting for the other shoe to drop, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop for the Eagles, man. I think we lost Marcus there, man. But uh, generally speaking, that that's what we got there. That's that's the first quarter recap for other teams. Don't think don't think I forgot about y'all. The Broncos are, are ahead of schedule. I'll say the Broncos are certainly ahead of schedule. Let me set the mood. Let me get some music on. Man. I know y'all come to Carson. I like to hear the mood music. My bad, y'all. But uh, the Broncos are ahead of schedule right now in terms of being 4-0 at this point. I didn't think that Trevor Simeon was capable of a 4-0 start. I'm going to give him a 3.5-0 because he did get hurt. <laughs> and then Trevor Paxton Lynch came through and did what he needed to do. But then again, you already know that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers don't play defense. So the fact remains is that Paxton Lynch came in, held down the fort, now they're 4-0. Boom. Next move. We spoke about the Falcons briefly, but who had the Falcons 3-1 after the movies? Who? Absolutely no one. All of you sports fans here who are talking about Julio Jones and 300 yards and all this and that, stop it. Talk about 300 yards, but don't talk about the record in a way where you're so impressed. No, say I'm surprised. The entire NFL is surprised. The Rams, surprised. 3-1. Barely playing any offense. What is this, 1996? So you just play a, a, a lick of offense and a load of defense and win? I know TJ's loving what he's seen in Los Angeles right now. Ravens, I'm still waiting for the other shoe to drop with the Ravens. I, I don't know about that. Buffalo's 2-2, two and two, and for all the negative energy that's been coming out of Buffalo, for them to be 2-2 two and two at this point, it's impressive. But I feel like we're walking the path of 8-8 eight and eight or 7-9 and nine with, with the Buffalo Bills. And last but not least, disappointment, three-fourths of the NFC South. <laughs> the Colts, disappointing. Titans, disappointing. Jaguars, extremely disappointing. We're not going to talk about my man from Florida State, Jalen Ramsey, looking kind of shaky there. We ain't going to get into that. But you know on New York City, I'm talking about you this week on New York City, Mr. Ramsey. Big surprise, Houston Texans. Got a big up text, three and one. I called you Brock Trashwaller. So far, Mr. Trashwaller, I, I, I might have to give you your last name back. I don't know yet, but I got you on the flip side in, in about a, another four weeks when we do the midway point session where we talk about what's happening through eight games. And I got a special guest for y'all before I go into a different direction. Raider Dre, 
What's going on, my brother? I saved the Raiders yep. just for you, my guy. What's good? What's good? Three and one. We just won, baby. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. On the road. We undefeated on the road. Um, we just got to figure out how to win at home, you know. And my loss to Atlanta, I guess, doesn't look that bad anymore. Not, not right now. Not at all. Right not now, all. honestly, I was I, I was mad at Atlanta. But now, in hindsight, I guess I shouldn't be that mad because they are rocking right now. You know what I mean? The Raiders, the Raiders, the Raiders looking like the real deal, brother. Funny defense and all. The defense looked pretty decent. I don't know if it was because it was the Titans or whoever they played I yesterday. Think, I can't remember at the moment. I think but, it was the Titans. It was the Titans and it was the Ravens, honestly. They're not high-powered like that. But the defense is playing better since Carl Joseph has been started. Yes. Let me ask you something, Raider Dre. Yeah. What's going on with the Raiders running game? What, what, what made them decide to go to a committee? What is it Latavius Murray doing that forces him to not have to share the load with two out the back? Uh, number one, Latavius Murray tends to run high. So and he's about six foot three. So he's susceptible to a lot of injuries. So we were talking about giving him a little breather last year, but Roy Hallou never worked out for us. So, uh, you know, we went with the Dwayne Washington, Jalen Richard, okay. undrafted free agency. We are a three-headed monster straight up. So if you got Latavius in fantasy, he is touchdown dependent, my friend. I'm letting you know now. Yeah, that's, that's another reason why I asked, because I picked them expecting a big year. And after two weeks, all of a sudden, it's a committee, and I feel some type of way right now. I'm not going to lie to you. But, uh, no, I, but he did give you, he's giving you three touchdowns. He's giving yeah, you three yeah, touchdowns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I won't lie, but when you, when you go up against those teams out that are loaded, you need more than touchdowns. You need touches, you need yards, you need a couple of catches out of the backfield. And that's what I thought yeah. I was getting, and, and now I might not be. No, nah, I don't think you're going to get that, my friend. No, I really don't. But you're going to get about 12 touchdowns and about 1,100 yards rushing, maybe? Maybe. Maybe. Your offense maybe. is legit. Yo, your man, you know, you know, I, Michael Crabtree, he, said, he okay. said something last week when he got the question asked to him about uh, Colin Kaepernick. I would love to know what the backstory is between Michael Crabtree and Colin Kaepernick because it's something real personal. Happening there. Yeah, it's it locker room. That's female. locker room. I don't know what it is, but it's something That's real locker personal. Room. Yep. That's locker room. But, That's locker room. Yes. I don't know it's what real, happened. It's big locker room. It's yeah, the same with us. But I'm seeing, once again, I have him on fantasy as well. Michael Crabtree is mm-hmm. outshining Amari Cooper right now. It, it, but you know that's connection because... stronger between him and Carr is it Cooper getting better coverage? Um, In the red zone, he loves Crabtree. Um. Amari is getting a lot of coverages shaded his way, okay. okay, which is opening it up for Seth Roberts and Michael Crabtree. So don't right. give up on Amari, uh, Amari Cooper yet in terms of fantasy or whatever you're looking for. It's just that teams are shading towards him, and it's opening up for Seth Roberts, Michael Crabtree, and eventually Clyde Walford. And you know what? I don't think Michael Crabtree is a, like a number two receiver. To me, he has everything to be a number one. And I feel like in the Raiders' passing system, he's finally getting a shine in a way that he would never would have been able to in San Fran. People forgot that Michael Crabtree was a beast coming out of Texas Tech. This man, this man finally getting—he's still not shining the way he needs to shine. But in Oakland, we now starting to see what could have been. Um, the thing is, he is a great—he he is a number one 
Ah, uh, hey, how can I say that? Meaning that four six speed, he yeah. does not blow off the top. So he's a great complementary receiver. If he has another dude on the side that can, can take it over the top. top, and he will eat you up. Uh, yes. Intermediate and all of that because he has tremendous. His, his hands are bigger than Chris Carter's. He got and his route running is. His route running is quietly some of the best in the league, but again, he's never gotten a chance to show out, so nobody knows how filthy he really is. Absolutely, and we trying to do that, man. Honestly, we are trying to do that. You know Last what I mean? So I got for you before I, I keep it moving. The, the, yeah. the, the Broncos are the class of the division. How do you yeah. feel right now matching up with Denver when that time comes? Okay, uh, if you recall last year, we beat Denver 15-12 to 12 in Denver, okay? okay? And we were not as good as we are now, in my opinion, okay? Um, the Denver defense is a problem. Yes, it is. It is a problem. So that's my gauge, honestly. You know what I mean? We split with Denver last year. So do I think we can beat Denver? Yes, I do. Peyton Anning ain't there no more. You know what I mean? Wow. But... We have to pressure that quarterback. Khalil Mack finally got his first sack in five tackles yesterday. He finally had a big game yesterday. Um, he had five sacks, if you remember, last year against Denver. He sacked yes. Osweiler five times in one damn game. So I'm not really worried about Denver. Um, I just need to know if we can win at home. That's what I want to know. Can we win at home? First now, game, can go next week. This is the issue that I have with the Denver matchup. It all depends on which Oakland secondary shows up because they still got those two monsters on the outside. And if those, if right. the court, if they don't get to the quarterback, can they right. can they contain both of those monsters? And that, that'll um, be the question. My my question before I go, my question for Denver, I'm on the opposite way, honestly. Um, okay. Can we stop Denver's running game? Because Terrence West just gave us a fucking change again. We've given every running back 100 yards. So if T.J. Anderson is running on us, that play action is going to be there for those young quarterbacks to make the throws. So if we stop the run against Denver, I want to see those young boys beat us. Okay? You know so my thing I, is stopping the run. I, I want the Raiders to do well. So I, I hope I hope that they pull this off. I, 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 I think the NFL is better. Not to sound like I work for the for the league, but I think the NFL okay. is better when the Raiders are good. So I want to see the Raiders compete yes, on the upward trend. Yes, absolutely, y'all, man. Have a good one, Raiders. I appreciate week. the call. Definitely. No doubt, fellas. Peace and love. Really. All right, let's. You know, I, I had to get everything in there. I saved the Raiders for the homie Raider Dre. Shout out to Marcus coming through, giving his take on things happening in the NFL through the first quarter of the season. Some surprises some disappointments, but hopefully by week eight, you know, teams like the Cardinals and, and the Panthers can, can right the ship. Hopefully the Colts can right the ship. I'm not sure about the Jets, to be honest with you. I think that the Patriots are preparing now with Brady coming back to run away with this thing. I think the NFC East is going to come down to weeks 15, 16, and 17, but this is only the first quarter, so let me pump my brakes. Let's go in a different direction. I don't know what to do when it comes to Josh Gordon. I'm I, you know, I, before the, the reports came out that it was an alcohol issue, I was fully prepared to go on my marijuana campaign on car sessions that I normally talk about when people get in trouble for weed. I feel as though the league shouldn't be tested for weed. I feel as though 
with the softening stance as a nation. We shouldn't be punishing guys who smoke marijuana. But being that it's alcohol, that was the issue. It makes me wonder if he was trying to supplement alcohol for weed. Because it has to be the case. He can't get that feeling, that, that, that buzz, that, that vibe that you get from smoking. So he transferred it to weed and because he has an addictive personality. Because, you know, when, when you get addicted to things, it's in your nature to get attached to it. He, he substituted weed with alcohol and he banged that too hard. Josh Gordon, the, the league might not be for you, man. When you think about it, he was doing fine. And every time he's close to playing football, anytime there's something football related with him getting back on the field, he takes a giant leap back. It's like three steps forward, a humongous leap backwards. That being said, I'm very concerned about Josh Gordon. Extremely concerned because his health is at risk. His mental health, more than anything, is at risk. Because there's something about being physically able to play this sport, but there's something about that sport that, that puts enough anxiety to where you need to lean on something to the point that you can't even do it anymore. It's obvious that you're sabotaging yourself, from my perspective. I'm not trying to psychoanalyze Josh Gordon, but from my perspective, he doesn't want to play ball anymore. It's just that people expect him to play ball, and he doesn't know how to say, I don't want to play ball anymore. So he does these things in order to avoid playing ball. So for those around Josh Gordon, if he can't do it himself, help him by telling him he doesn't have to play anymore, man. It's okay, Mr. Gordon. Take a step back from the league. Maybe in a few years, uh, one of these networks will hire you, and you can offer your perspectives as a former receiver in the league. But if you don't want to play anymore, football is not in your heart, instead of you doing damage to yourself with alcohol, just step away, bro. We won't, we won't like you any less. Maybe the people who need the money that comes from playing the league will, will, will dislike you for a while. But the people who care about you, who really care about you, will understand that you did what was best for your psyche. That's all I got to say about Josh. I'm not going to come in and bash him and kick him like a whole slew of people did. Absolutely not. We don't do that here. He has a problem. He needs help. And I hope for the best with Josh Gordon. But... We want to talk sports, man. We want to talk happy things. Something a little NBA. Preseason is fully underway. Y'all know, y'all know I love me some basketball. Y'all know I love talking basketball. You know, when I'm at work, it went, went back in the days before I changed location. We would spend, when it was slow, spend half the day talking ball. You're in a barbershop, you talk ball. Basketball is a way of life, especially for a New York City person as myself. I might not be able to play it that well, but I can sure talk it really well. <laughs> uh, I saw something last week that started to make waves on my Facebook, my Twitter. It happened on the Colin Coward show, and it said something along the lines of, LeBron James, at 31 years old, has done more than Michael Jordan at the same age. So, this is the thing I spoke to you guys about over the summer when I did the PSA. Colin Cowherd and people surrounding him, because it wasn't him who said it, it was his, his sidekick. I forget his name right now, but that, that's what he is. He's a sidekick. On that show in particular, they structure arguments that are completely inarguable on its head. Of course, you can't argue. It's a fact. At 31 years old, LeBron James has done more than Michael Jordan. 
And for the people who like to Google things, they'll look it up, they'll see the stats. Oh, wow, more MVPs, more championships. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God, LeBron James. This is not a LeBron James fashion session. Absolutely not. The first thing I want to get out of the way is, let's stop using Michael Jordan as his mythical measuring stick. Michael Jordan is who he is. He's the greatest of his era. I feel like though the the NBA has too many eras for you to just put Jordan as the greatest of the great. Of his era, it was him. You can't tell me that when you compare resumes that Michael Jordan as a basketball player, not as a cultural icon, but as a basketball player, is any greater than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem got six rings. Kareem has a slew of MVPs. Kareem played on one of the greatest teams of all time, Showtime Lakers. So you can't tell me that LeBron, excuse me, Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. You still have guys like Bill Russell. You still have guys like Will Chamberlain. You still have players from many eras. You still have players from the modern era, the post-Jordan era, Kobe Bryant, what LeBron James is doing statistically along with three ranks. Steph Curry on the come up and a, and a slew of other players behind him. So I can't, I'm getting tired of the Jordan comps. Let's start appreciating plays. I constantly preach this. I appreciate what's in front of you, not what's behind you. LeBron James is right now. Kobe Bryant is gone. KG retired. Tim Duncan retired. A lot of the old guard is gone. They're gone. What we have now in terms of holding up the league, the face of the league, LeBron has always been kind of sort of the face, but you still had Kobe on the way. With Kobe out of the way, this is LeBron James' league. Even if Steph wins his second championship, LeBron James is the face that runs the place. You understand? Appreciate LeBron. If you don't like him, that's fair. There's a lot of guys who don't like LeBron. I talk, I talk to these, these people every day. They, they'll never give LeBron James his due because they felt as though LeBron got put on such a such a high pedestal coming into the league, and, and it's like he could never do any wrong, and they keep pumping him up as something he wasn't up until recently. That it's hard for them to give LeBron his due. I'm beyond that. Once LeBron won his first championship with the Miami Heat, any criticism I had of LeBron James was not because I didn't like him. It was it was legitimate criticisms. Of LeBron James. But LeBron James, a basketball player, I enjoy it. Heat LeBron is some of my favorite LeBron. I LeBron at his apex, apex LeBron as I call him, I enjoyed watching that man play. Him next to D Wade, Bosch, full court alley oops, the up and down pace, shooting 57% for the field as a small forward. How could you not appreciate that? People got, you know, last year with the whole finals thing and not giving it to Steph, that turned people off once again. I, I get it. I respect it. I get it. I get it. They got tired of it. But listen, it's not many people who are going to do what LeBron James has done and will continue to do. Appreciate that, man. And stop using Jordan as a crutch. It's time for us to move away from that. But back to this whole, at 31, LeBron did more than Michael Jordan. If y'all take one second, just one second, because when I heard it, I I, I completely 
debunk that argument in my head instantly. If y'all take one second to really put this into the proper perspective, of course LeBron would do more than Michael Jordan at the same age as Michael Jordan. Why is that, y'all? What are you talking about? The stats are what they are. Well, Michael Jordan played three years in college, guys. LeBron James, at the same age as Jordan, has three more years of NBA experience. Huh? If you have three more years of NBA experience with the usage rate that LeBron has had throughout his career, of course he would do more than Michael Jordan. Come on, guys. Y'all didn't take a second to think about that fact that he played three years in North Carolina before he came to the pros? No? That didn't click in your head? It, it did for me. I thought about that instantly. LeBron James has done more than Kobe Bryant. Kobe didn't go to college. Kobe Bryant had to wait his turn, guys. Hello? First of all, he got benched his first year. His second year, he, he was a sixth man. He didn't get the shot as a singular player, the singular superstar, until what, his eighth year in the league? You guys need to start doing your homework. Just look at usage rates. Forget all the other advanced analytics that some of y'all are allergic to. Usage rate. Look that up. Look at LeBron's career usage rate and put that up against other all-time greats. And you will understand why he is capable of putting up the stats that he's capable of putting up. Huh? He did more than Jordan because he had more opportunity to do more than Jordan. One plus one equals two. That's my favorite line right these days. One plus one equals two. If you're a person who gets to level when you add one and one, I can't talk to you. But for all the people who know that one plus one equals two and know that Michael Jordan had less opportunities than LeBron James to do what he did up until the same age as 31, y'all my people. It's simple. These shows want to garner up and conjure up conversation. They have to do that. That's what gets the rating. But people... Don't drink the Kool-Aid and gobble it up as fact because they get paid to do it. No, they have a job to do. Their job is to get you to watch their show and listen to their show. So if saying something extreme to get people talking, that's what they're going to do. The dude said it. It was a fact on the surface. But it was a fact filled with one humongous fallacy. It was a fact with a slight misdirection. Understand that. Staying in the NBA. The person who was supposed to be, you know, the next LeBron James, uh, Ben Simmons. It's not looking too good for Mr. Simmons these days, folks. Broken foot. I have a question for my listeners. Those of you who are stout NBA followers, how many number one overall picks come into the league? Get hurt before they get on the court and have successful careers. Have careers that live up to the standards of the number one overall pick in the draft. That's my first question for you guys. Ponder that. Get back to me. We'll talk about it on New York City or we'll talk about it on the sports report. I'll get back to you. But for me, I feel as though this broken foot for Ben Simmons is the beginning of a Lamar Odom-like career. Now you're going to say Lamar Odom won two championships. He was a, he was an important part of those Lakers championship teams. He was a pretty good player. Yes, he was. All of these things are true. But Lamar Odom didn't live up to his potential or live up to the expectations that people set for him. 
it's, it's a weird energy surrounding Ben Simmons now. This is not a take, people. Let's not confuse this with, with, with something like a take or me being negative because I like Ben Simmons. Much of you know I wanted Ben Simmons for the Lakers before we settled for Ingram. And, and by settle, I mean we had a second pick. And if there was somebody else to take higher than him, I don't know who it is. So, of course, you're going to take Ingram. But I wanted Ben Simmons. But when you have that level of injury, out three months before your career starts, that energy is weird. That sixth curse might be real. I'm very nervous for Ben Simmons' career as of right now. Not because I want him to fail, but because I, I don't know. We all human. We get feelings. As soon as I got the alert to my phone, Ben Simmons out for an extended period of time with foot injury. I had the same feeling in my stomach that I got when I got the same alert to my phone at the Lakers hired Mike D'Antoni. I tried to spin it for my people on the internet, but when I first got that report, I had a sick feeling in my stomach, and the Lakers have not been the same since. And I got that same feeling when I heard what happened to Ben Simmons. I can only hope, I can only hope that I'm wrong. I want to be wrong about Ben Simmons. I like his game. I like his swag. I like the way he controls the floor. But the more I spoke to certain people who know the game, who got more years watching the game than I do, and the more I spent watching Ben Simmons, I feel as though this is Lamar Odom 2.0. He'll be Lamar Odom with the usage rate. See, I'm going with that. With a usage rate that he never had in his career. Being in Philly, playing with the players that he has there, he'll have all the opportunity to shine all the opportunities to shine. So he'll put up volume numbers, but I don't think he'll be a superstar. I'm, I'm legitimately concerned. I want to be wrong, but I get the feeling that the best player coming out of that draft is going to be Mr. Brandon Ingram. And the player was, I forget his name right now because I have a lot of athletes' names in my ass. I have to be able to, and I don't remember one. But the kid from Providence who got drafted by Minnesota, I think the two best players are in Minnesota and in Los Angeles coming out of that draft. I think Ben Simmons will be a solid third option in the NBA. Everybody's going to say, oh, all oh, this is because of a broken foot. But you got to think about this. How many number one overall picks get that level of injury to start their career? Let's really talk about this. It happened to him for a reason. Things don't, if you don't believe a certain thing's happening for a reason by now, I don't know what planet you're living on. It's not a mistake that this happened to Ben Simmons. It's not a mistake that it happened to the Philadelphia 76ers following this process after they fired the GM who eventually got them to where they wanted to be in terms of an alleged transcendent talent. Do remember, I'm keeping one toe out of the door here, though, because I don't mind being wrong. But don't be surprised. Do not be surprised if Mr. Ben Simmons, this is the beginning of the downward spiral of his superstardom. He's gonna and when I say downward spiral, be clear, I think you gotta listen. Downward spiral from NBA superstar to NBA star. His superstar, all star, star. This is the beginning of the downward trajectory towards star. Remember that. That's all I'm saying. I ain't saying I'm just saying. Last but not least, I have to stop the music for y'all. Last but not least Although Eddie is not here, and it, it breaks my heart to not have Eddie on this show tonight because the Mets made the playoffs what amounts to basically the whole entire season 
talking about the Mets. The ebbs, the flows, the highs, the lows that this 162-game season brought to us. At times, we were very concerned about the Mets. But when it was all said and done, I told Eddie about a month ago, the Mets will make the playoffs. Not because I was getting arrogant, but because I believed in the team. I believed that we could stay the course. And with everything that was going on, and because of the way the new wild card format was set up, I think this is the fourth year of the new format, that we, as bad as things got, we were never out of the race. I think the, the most we were ever out of it was, what, five games? We were always within shouting distance of the playoffs, and our schedule was set up to where we will play some schmegs the last month of the season, and we will find our way in. We just had to stay in the course. And lo and behold, I was right. And because he's an emotional Mets fan, and I respect that. I get very emotional about my Mets, too. But sometimes, you know, you got to be honest. He got a little emotional. He was a little doubtful that they would make it. He posted something on Facebook that the Mets were going to be making the playoffs when they were one game under 500. But he was speaking emotionally. That's not baseball fan Eddie saying that. That was Eddie, emotional Mets fan, frustrated with the product at the time. We had like half our roster was hurt, and we got healthy. We made it run, and we got hurt again. He also wanted me to send a message to you guys that he feels that the Mets, not even he feels, he expects the Mets to win against the San Francisco Giants, and beat Madison Bumgarner. You know, I, I got mad at him a couple of weeks ago because I felt as though he was getting a little arrogant, and we know, we know what it is to be a Met fan and to stick our chest out and fail. But in this regard, I'm going to give it a pass because I don't expect Eddie at this point in the season in the playoffs to say, I think the Mets are going to lose. Whether he believes that the Mets are going to win is a whole conversation for another day. But he believes in his heart. <laughs> he believes in his heart that the Mets will win. And I want to talk about that matchup right now. If the Mets were going to do anything successful as an organization, of course we would have the whole team hurt. Coming off an improbable playoff run, we would have the whole team hurt. What it feels like. I know I'm exaggerating. <laughs> but it feels like the whole team is hurt. <laughs> we were spending a mid part of the season stressing our fan base out. And then we would make the playoffs. And not only will we make the playoffs, we would face the pitcher who had one of the greatest postseason performances in league history. Of course the Mets would have to beat Madison Bumgarner to advance in the playoffs. Of course. Only Mets fans understand that we don't know how to do things easily. I don't know a Met team outside of maybe the 86 team. And even think about it in 86. You were 108 and 54, right? Had the best team all year. And it took damn near a marathon to eliminate the, the Astros in the NLCS. And then it took a miraculous play from Mookie Wilson hitting the ball between Bill Buckner's legs for us to tie the series, forget win the series. People forget that, that miraculous play. We were down 3-2 in that series. We had to go 7, and it took a miracle to get to game 7. The Mets don't know how to do things easily. I always joke. Everybody who, know, who knows me knows this joke about certain New York teams. The Mets, the Jets, and the Knicks. They don't know how to do anything easily. Those three teams will stress you out, take years off of your life, and they give you the greatest feeling of satisfaction on the flip side 
or the greatest feeling of disappointment. So everything is set up now for the Mets to give you one more disappointment. But because it's the Mets, it wouldn't surprise me if we go up against Madison Bumgarner, one of the best postseason performing pitchers in the league, and win that game. The way this season has gone, what what reason does the Mets fan have to believe that we're going to lose? We love, Think about it. No DeGrom. No Harvey. No Matt. Never had Wheeler. No Walker. No David Wright. That's seven players. Yeah, we lost Duda for much of the season. We lost Ligaris for a chunk of the season. Curtis Granderson just started hitting. Jay Bruce just started hitting. We've had so many drawbacks. So many extreme drawbacks from very important players. We're still in the playoffs. We still made it. I have no reason to believe that the Mets will lose this Wednesday night. I have absolutely no reason to believe. Am I concerned? You're damn skippy, I'm concerned. But do I believe we're going to lose? No. Absolutely not. If we lose, whatever. Much like last year, this is house money. When I when the season started last season, I didn't have to mention the playoffs. So every time we advance in the playoffs, house money. All the way to the World Series, house money. When you look at the, the level of injuries that the Mets have had to deal with up until this point, get into the playoffs once again, house money. Every time we advance, is a bonus. But I'll say this for the astute baseball fan. Now I was saving this for Ed. I was, I was hoping to throw this. I've been saving this point for a few weeks, actually. We looked at the Kansas City Royals, and we felt that we had the advantage in pitching. The Mets have lost a slew of pitching. But I think what we lost in pitching, the hitting this year is going to make up for it. I think the Mets' resiliency. And look, look at the, what, what the Kansas City Royals did last year. I'll say what was it. Volquez and Cueto. And those guys aren't like drop deck starters. They did not murderous row. They had decent starting pitching and relentless, resilient hitting. Timely hitting. I think the Mets might duplicate what the Kansas City Royals did last year. And that they have decent pitching. They have Gesselman, the Winter Soldier. They have Seth Lugo. They got they have Big Sexy. They have Thor. It might not be what it was last year, but they have players who are decent to very good, and they'll have a relentless approach to hitting. They have nothing but pros on their lineup. So all I'm saying is this. If we get through San Francisco, because of the fact that we saw just a year ago what Kansas City was able to do with average starting pitching, don't be surprised if the Mets make another run. You know, all of you guys panicking and see all these men fans trade this guy, fire this guy. You panicked all year. Panic, panic, panic. Look at us now. <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen, I bet you would do to the latest episode of Car Sessions. Look out for me this Thursday, as always, with Car Sessions New York City. You're riding me on my commute. It's a completely different vibe. We talk about everything. It's not just a sports show. It's an everything show. DJ, new show on deck coming real soon, Car Sessions. The network is expanding. We're going to take over everything. Until next time, I'm out of here.